Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, Corinne Bursa, Scott Luton, right here with you on Tech Talk, right here on Supply Chain Now. Corinne, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all the supply chain movers and shakers who are with us today, too. Scott, how are you doing today? You know, it's, it's been a challenging morning. Most of them are, though, right? We're all kind of fighting through uh, this current environment, but we've got a good mix of good news and some key insights from a esteemed panel. So I'm looking forward to spending the next hour with you and, of course, all of our friends in the cheap seats. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you know, talking about cheap seats, that's a perfect segue. I had the most normal weekend this past weekend that I can remember, certainly <laughs> since before COVID hit. Yep. And cheap seats, you know this because you are a big baseball fan. The Braves, the Atlanta Braves, reopened at 100% capacity at wow. Truist Park. Uh, so unbelievable. One of my kids went to the Saturday night game in in standing room only seats, so cheap seats uh, for for those of you out there. And he said it was just amazing to see so many people in one place again, that it was really just kind of energizing and, and exciting. And I think you know that the Braves were also offering vaccines to folks and that anybody got, who got a vaccine, I believe got two tickets to a future Braves game as well. So pretty normal doings that seem extraordinary at the yeah. time. Agreed. Great moves by the Braves. And we're fortunate here in Atlanta to have some wonderful engaged ownership, especially Arthur Blank with the Falcons and all they do for mm -hmm. folks in need, especially our veterans community. So great move by the Braves. And, and hopefully, you know, hopefully those goodwill efforts of doing the right thing will spill over into the standings. We'll see. It's a fight to the finish. Um, <laughs> it <will be. laughs> so well, I love hearing about that weekend. It sounds like a wonderful weekend as we continue to take baby steps to some sense of normalcy, which is important for everybody. I want to do really quick, Corinne. I want to say hello to a few folks. I want to call out a special project we're supporting with our friends at Vector. And then, and then we're going to dive right in. How's that sound? Sounds terrific. All right. Man, we, we are a flurry of activity that are ready there must be the Corinne Bursa fan club here today. So Adair via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Adair. Thanks so much for joining. Clay Phillips, who is uh, on assignment down in Mexico. He says he's got the entire supply chain our brain trust here. <laughs> well, minus Clay and, and Amanda, who, of course, is behind scenes uh, and many others. Jill, good morning via LinkedIn. Great to have you here. 
Kelly, Kelly, you're supposed to kind of stay in the bag. You're letting, <laughs> letting our secrets out. Uh, she She's says, always busy. She's always busy. She's <laughs> back there working and backstage right now. That is right. Peter Bole all night and all day who joined uh, our friends, uh, Sarah over for thoughts and coffee yesterday. Great, great conversation there, Peter. And he's sending us some late breaking news this morning. So we'll touch on that later oh. today. Haber or Habert? Just let, let me know if I got it wrong. I apologize. Thanks for joining us via LinkedIn. Jeremy Robinson is with us also via LinkedIn. Thanks so much for being here. By the way, Habir is from uh, Uganda. So wonderful. We've enjoyed a lot of thought leadership mm -hmm. from across Africa in recent shows. Steve is tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you here, Steve. Gosh, Mohib is with us. Says he's getting ready to tech talk today. That is some serious alliteration, right. Corinne. Thanks for joining us, Doc. You bet. Tom, Tom Cabral, always try to catch a show when he can. And Tom, keep the jokes coming. I think you were commenting on the um, the supply chain hair club we had working between Greg and Enrique last time. So we look forward <laughs> to your, your sense of humor there, Tom. And of course, Rhonda. Rhonda, hope this finds you well. By the way, Rhonda, I think I missed something in the last live stream. I was looking at it after the fact. I believe your husband lost a family member and all the best to you and your family. Thanks for, for being here today. I always enjoy your refreshing point of, of you here. And then finally T squared says, let the supply chain tech talk boxing match begin. No <laughs> nourishment, just drinks. How about that? Good. All right. So let's do this. So hello, everybody. And we didn't get, we didn't say hello to everyone. I see Justine, Susan, Anna, Mary. Thanks so much for being here. Let's bring in this here. If my mouse is working. Okay. So Corinne, we've, we're, we're really beating, beating the drum on this, this project here uh, on a much, much more serious note. You know, India is in the throes of the second wave. Uh, they're fighting a good fight. We're talking to a, a wide variety of our friends that, that are in India or, or that are elsewhere that have friends and family there. And we're getting really personal updates and it's heartbreaking. I mean, I know every, as Greg pointed out, you know, every country has kind of had their own ups and downs, but but our, our, our hearts and prayers and thoughts and actions are with our, we're with India. So India, we're standing with you. We're very pleased to support a project that Vector Global Logistics and many others are facilitating and marshalling, and, and that's getting critical resources to India. So give from what you can, like Corinne and Greg shared not too long ago, give small, give big, give all points in between, but just get informed. And you can do that via vibha.org, which is a great nonprofit that's doing wonderful work. Or if you have some creative ways, or maybe you've got uh, supply chain infrastructure to leverage, or, or mm -hmm. maybe you just want to interact with folks that are leading the effort, shoot an email to india at vectorgl.com, and you can engage and get involved that way. So critical, critical project. And oh, we're honored to be a part of it. And you know, you give from what you have, and that awareness is so important, isn't it, Corinne? It, it really is. First, thank you to the team at Vector for helping to kind of put the steps in place to make it easy for the rest of us to uh, to engage and to contribute. There were 4,200 reported deaths yesterday in India, and that's the reported deaths. I heart breaks just thinking of that number, but the fact is that probably isn't representative of the full total. So, so yes, absolutely, all of our our friends and family and um, and extended supply chain partners that are there in the India area, you are in our thoughts and prayers, and as Scott said, our actions yeah. as well. Well said. Okay, so on a much lighter note, we want to 
share an upcoming event. You know, the flip side of this, the silver lining of all of this is that we're seeing a ton of innovation and that innovation mm -hmm. has helped fight the pandemic, but it's also helping to make the industry, not just supply chain, but industry more resilient. So we've got an upcoming webinar that we'd invite y'all to join us for June 8th at 12 noon. We've got Tracy Rosser from Transplace that's going to dive into some of these innovations we're seeing across supply chain. So, so sign up for that for free at supplychainnow.com. And Corinne, Transplace has been on the move, hasn't they? They, they sure have. I mean, we, we have had some interesting conversations with the leadership at Transplace, everybody from their chief technology officer to their, their CEO, Frank McGuigan, who joined us to talk about some of the innovations in this logistics area. So I know Tracy's got some interesting things to share and questions to ask for our audience as well. Agreed. So all that brings us to today, we're, we're going to kind of talk about with this wonderful panel, Corinne and our two guests, we're going to talk about a wide ranging number of factors and, and goings on across global business, truly. So Corinne, the bounce back begins Yeah, yeah. or really just, it's kind of already ahead. begun, right? It's kind of already <laughs> yes. begun, but we all hope it's not the dead cat bounce, right? Where it's Ooh. like a fake, a fake bounce. Hey, you know, I looked that up. Oh, uh, that's a uh, real uh, thing. That's that's you're you're spending too much time on on Yahoo Finance. Well, um, well, but, uh, <laughs> I saw that in a, in um you know with baseball season. I saw that in my one of my favorite baseball blogs. I'm like, well, is that like a urban reference or is there something behind it? It is truly a financial term when it comes it to looking at economic rebounds and recessions and and, and much of the other high fluting stuff. So. But what we're all hoping for and working for is a real bounce back. And we're going to talk about some of those things right here today. Is that correct? Right, Corinne? It is. That's that's what I want to talk about. And we've got a great panel to dive into that topic. But I like this idea, Scott, of bounce back begins. You know, actually, jokingly, on Yahoo Finance yesterday, I heard or saw an article where they called it the not enough recovery. Um, and you can take that so many different ways. So I love mm. the twist on the words, not enough of a recovery or there's not enough stuff to fuel the recovery. A and that's what we're going to talk about is how have we adapted um, and are we more resilient emerging from the pandemic? It's no surprise to our supply chain now community that this pandemic really kind of exposed two things. One, just how connected we all are, our economies on a global scale, but two, how vulnerable we are and this need for resilience, right? Most of our supply chains, Scott, have been designed for efficiency and low cost, right? Repeatable process, get it there quick and, and as efficiently as possible. But the reality is what we need now is resiliency and resiliency requires investment in some areas. And so I'm really looking forward to getting the point of view from some of our supply chain now experts and just hearing what their insights are around a number of topics. So should we bring them in? I do. I want to make one quick point before we do, though. It's interesting how low cost the factors that drive that in the last 10 years, how that's going to be mm -hmm. so different in the next two years, even. So it's all about what it, you know, what the current definition is. So we'll, we'll dive into a lot more here. So on that note, let's bring in the smart people to join the current smart person right here in the stream, Corinne. So we have Kelly Barner, fearless leader of our Dow P for procurement series, also owner of buyers meeting point, And it gets better. Wait, there's more Enrique Alvarez <laughs> who leads both, Logistics with Purpose, and Supply Chain Now in Espanol, 
and somehow still finds time to get stuff done as managing director of Vector Global Logistics. Let's welcome in Kelly and Enrique. Oh, <laughs> just in time. Just, just in, in time. time. <laughs> Slid right in. Hey, good morning, Enrique and Kelly. It's great to have you here. Tech Talk Live, thanks for joining in today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited to be with uh, you, Corrine, Kelly, and Scott, of course. I'm going to learn a lot from this for sure. Uh, well, we all know you're going to be bringing it to the table as well. So it's it's always fun to work with experts like the three of you. So Scott, I know you were excluding yourself in the prior comments, but uh, we know better. So so thanks so much. You know, we were on this topic, you guys, of bounce back or the bounce back begins. And I like the analogy of the bounce, right? Because we're going to have some ups and some downs in the mix, but hopefully that trajectory is going to continue to trend upward and, and that it's not just going to be a U.S. recovery, it's going to be a global recovery. So when we think about that, you know, I'm hearing everywhere I go about shortages and the challenges around shortages right now. So whether it's microchips or chicken or lumber, gas, steel, plastics, and even ketchup packages, if you remember all of that that was going on just a couple of weeks ago. And I would love for our community members that are with us today, if you guys could just chime in on some of the comments about where you're seeing shortages in your business or in your marketplace, that would be excellent as well, because we'd love to get to get your view on that. Can I share a quick? Yeah. This, this, is, this is a perfect table setter. <laughs> perfect table setter. And of course it comes from the one and only Peter Bolay. Current situation is a pull your socks, grab your britches and run like hell. And he says, he's so glad he didn't make a typo on britches. So, <laughs> so that, my grandmother used to use that term britches all the time. That's, that's exactly where my head goes. So Peter, thanks for livening the mood. So Corinne, yeah. I don't want to mess up, mess up the tip. So where, where are we going to start first? Well, thank, first of all, thanks for that, Peter. You always bring, you're kind of up in your game on the humor lately. So uh, my expectations are going to continue to climb. Um, but if we, so the thing that we heard about for the longest is probably computer chips, right? And, and we hear that the shortage in computer chips is impacting everything from new cars to, of course, computers or smartphones, right down to children's toys, Right. And, and now it's interesting because many of the semiconductor manufacturers are saying, hey, we gave visibility back in January that they needed to place their orders now. And they're kind of putting the onus on their customers who they're serving in part for there being a shortage. So it's interesting. And, and Kelly, maybe I'll get you to chime in here. It doesn't have to be computer chip specific, but when we think about that collaboration, right, and, and the procurement process, what are you seeing as far as that business-to-business -business communication and adapting for new demand profiles? Sure. No. And that's been really interesting. And I'm, I'm not going to steal my thunder. I know we're going to talk about technology a little bit later. But I mean, basically, the issue that we're having is that it's like that old school game of telephone where you sit in a circle with your friends and you say one thing. And by the time it gets around the circle, it's like nobody even knows what that means. The problem is these chip manufacturers probably did tell their customers. Mm. The issue is if you're in procurement, whether you're on the direct side of the house or the indirect, 
it might have taken six steps or eight steps or even more for that information to pass through your supply chain to get to you. By the time it reaches you, the information may be out of date. It may be fuzzy. It may be unclear. It may be plain indirect, not indirect, incorrect. <laughs> Getting my procurement terms messed up here. <laughs> um, and so the trust of the data is a problem because the relationships don't extend that far. Maybe we get to tier two in the supply chain. Maybe if we're really good, we get to three in a couple of places. Never does it go all the way back to where we're actually getting to the source material level or even as far as the individual chip level based on where they are in most supply chains. Yep. Yep. And I think it's just interesting how pervasive, you know, how many products in the marketplace today have chips in them, you know, right down to your kids' toys. So, so it is, it's being impacted. And, and along those lines, there's also things like plastic shortages, right? And, and I don't want to put all of the onus for these shortages on the pandemic, because the reality is part of the challenges around plastics and even petroleum distribution in North America center around the weather events that we had that impacted yes. Texas and, and other areas that do a lot of the petroleum processing and serve that plastics community. So when you think of plastics, again, it's everything from, you know, your water bottle right through to, again, your car, right? The dashboard and other elements that are there. But on this top of, uh, on the topic of uh, gasoline in particular, you know, one of the shortage issues they say with gasoline is that somewhere between 20 and 25% of tank trucks are parked. And the reason that they're parked is because there is a shortage in qualified drivers. And this is it. This is according to the national tank truck carriers. Enrique, your business is moving things. So help us. I mean, this personnel issue and qualified drivers, qualified workers, really in every area of the supply chain, I mean, that's going to be a, a choke point for us in the near future. I think it is. And I think it has been for the last couple of years. And it's just a way of, it just depends on how you're breaking down the information and what kind of data you're selecting for telling the story, right? And I was a consultant before, so you can always kind of take certain aspects or segments of that data and then just explain the story that you want to explain. But in this particular question that you posed me and to Kelly's point, there's so many different steps that you have to make to actually order things. And then there's the other component, uh, which is one of the other steps, which is actually shipping it. And for actually mm -hmm. shipping it, you actually need people. And again, not to put everything into the pandemic, but before the pandemic, way back, we were looking at average age of a truck driver and things like this. And the average age has actually gone up to like 56, 55, I believe it is right now. And there's not a lot of younger people that want to come into the industry. So there's always been a shortage. And of course, with the pandemic, it just it just got out of control. And that's kind of what we're seeing. We're really seeing the uh, sum of uh, different factors that all came together and played out mm -hmm. in the way that they're playing out. And it's just sometimes like the perfect wave, right? Mm -hmm. Port congestion yep. can be attributed to that driver shortage can be attributed to that. And some of these other things are also um, a factor of just not having enough people for multiple reasons. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, and then you add kind of insult to injury, if you will. So Scott, right. I know that you've got a point of view on this one, but you know, here <laughs> in the Southeast, um, there's currently a gasoline shortage. And, and so in the Atlanta area in particular, 
um, there's a little state of panic buying to fill your car up and, and you'll find gas stations that are completely out of gas, right? Um, and that's the result of a different kind of disruption. So there was a ransomware attack on a business, on the Colonial Pipeline business that impacted the ability to distribute. And so now we're getting, in supply chain terms, we're getting you know, new signals of demand, right? Heightened demand or pulling demand forward and less supply in the marketplace. And so we've got, you know, behavior, consumer behavior that's different and is really amplifying some of the challenges that were happening network wide. Yes, we, we certainly are. And, and, you know, it's impacting this far different states differently, right? And they still, there's no, there's no firm date for when the pipeline will be completely back up the normal. And even when that happens, as we all know, there's going to be a, some lingering impact uh, that will linger for days, exacerbated by our what, what consumers are doing. So what mm -hmm. we did the other day here in Luton household is uh, I broke out my ICB from behind the house <laughs> and the gas station. And we, uh, no, kidding aside, folks, don't do this. Don't I, this do is this. this is internet. I'm not sure. I, I got this from 20 uh. people on one of my social feeds. <laughs> this this reminds me of some people that that we all probably grew up with. But folks, now is not now is the time to be a good citizen. You know, get what you need. We all are taking kids. You know, folks are going trying to go to their job. They're trying to take kids to school. They're trying to get, you know, get stuff done. But now is not a time to hoard. Just like, just like we, we heard when the TP, goodness gracious, I don't even want to, I don't even want to broach that subject you know back when that was happening. Right. Just, just be yeah. a good consumer. Right. Let's control the panic. Right. Yeah. I've, I've got news for you. Toilet paper shortage may come back around because lumber yeah. Lumber is at record highs. I mean, we have seen over 130% increase in lumber prices here in North America. And that pulp is part of that equation as well. So that's going to affect a lot of paper industries, including the toilet paper industry. Yes. So, so, Corinne, so there's more coming. There's a lot more, lot more coming. Uh, don't squeeze the Charmin and don't buy too much TP. But hey, there's some great comments here I want to bring in from our community. Uh, so Peter, you know, going back to some of the plastics deals, he says, we can also add seat cushions to the list of upcoming shortages. Thanks uh, to this Texas snow debacle that's yep. closed the refinery produces that that produces 85% of us residents used to make seat cushions. Toyota paused several plants as a result. And then Peter also says, I'll tell you, we're going to have to make room for a fifth seat here yeah. to, to Enrique's <laughs> point about the data. Explain or exploit. Data tells whatever story you want to tell for any given situation. Excellent point there. Let me share this from Brandy. Brandy, thanks for joining us here today. Truck driving is a hard way of life for little pay. I'm not surprised the average age has increased. It's a good point. Let's see. Azalea. Hey, Azalea. Great to have you back with us once again. There's a shortage of school bus drivers statewide oh, wow. in West Virginia. Yeah. This is huge. And affecting huge. every yeah. industry. That is an excellent point. You know, that just adds to, we, we already got to tackle the digital divide. We got to make sure that doesn't grow to an educational divide. So, all right. So Corinne, where are we, we're tackling chicken next. Is that right? Well, we could talk chicken. <laughs> we could talk ketchup. You guys, I, I don't know if you're aware, there's a chicken shortage, just so you know. So part of it is apparently chicken is a high priority menu item for takeout. And since so many people have been doing takeout of chicken wings and chicken dishes, but also something that we serve when we cook at home. So there is a chicken shortage and a ketchup shortage. 
But I think the ketchup shortage has more to do with packaging than it does with tomato harvesting and processing. But when you think of ketchup packets, right? So the packets, demand has spiked by over 25% for these packets because restaurants are serving them with their takeout, but also because they're not putting the bottles back on the tables as in restaurant dining resumes, right? So the thought process is it's, it's much more sanitary just to give you the packets than to touch a bottle that somebody else has, has touched. But, but these things are just simple examples, I think, that are impacting our everyday life as well as our professional roles around supply chain. But it is so fascinating to me that this year of disruption um, has really continued to put supply chain at center stage. So I really want to shift the conversation to how far we've come what we've learned. And I want to hear Kelly and Enrique and Scott, you know, some of your insights about how we're doing things differently. And if we're really taking advantage of this time of disruption to accelerate the adoption and transformation of businesses. How's that sound? Sounds good. Good. Sounds wonderful. Oh, I was going to say, let's let's start with something simple, right? So we've just talked about these demand signals changing um, and product availability changing, right? And, and supply chain planning is all about balancing demand with availability, right? So we've had to calibrate or let's say recalibrate on a much more frequent cadence to do things like reduce risk exposure or harness opportunities in the marketplace. There's just a multitude of disruptions right down to this recent ransomware example, right? So Kelly, what are you seeing, right? With with these wide swings, how is this impacting procurement strategies and tactics? So I think it's it's impacting our strategies and tactics in a, a couple of ways. The biggest way is that most procurement teams are not set up to find products and services for which there are shortages. We are set up and trained and optimized to get efficient pricing, get things in the right volume with the right specs in the right place at the right Mm -hmm. time. And so a lot of us are struggling now because we're saying, okay, you can't buy the spec that we want. You can't buy the product that we want. Or maybe it's a tier two issue where our supplier is having difficulty delivering because they can't get what they need, but it's not an option to just, okay, well then let's change the spec. No, you don't understand. There isn't any of this pulp, lumber, plastic, right, available. So that's one challenge. The other thing that I read about earlier this week that is a huge source of concern for me does deal with these stockouts, specifically in the retail sector. So there's been a lot of forgiveness over the last year. And I think procurement has made a lot of progress in terms of the relationships that we have with our suppliers. But now we're getting to the point where Walmart, Albertsons, Cisco, they're like, okay, we're done with this. We want everything to go back to normal. If we order 10,000 jars of pickles from you, we want 10,000 jars of pickles to show up. And now Walmart very specifically, also Cisco and Albertsons, I believe has said it's on the horizon. They are starting to find their suppliers. So if you don't have 98% of the order fulfilled in place on time, they are fining you 3% of the value of what doesn't get delivered. And that's so tough because on the one hand, I get where Cisco and Walmart are coming from, right? That's great because it's a B2B example and it's a B2C example where this is an issue. So I understand their problem. They need the stock that they order. 
but we've worked so hard to get away from these really tough relationships with our suppliers. And especially if we're going back in to some shortages, whether it happens to be toilet paper or ketchup packets <laughs> or Vlasic pickles, right? Whatever it happens to be. If we're burning bridges, we're not even across the river yet. It's not yeah. time to burn the bridge yet. And so I'm a little bit concerned that for as much as we feel like we progressed and as much as we feel like we learned and changed to, you know, kumbaya with our suppliers over the last year, I'm worried it didn't get in as deep as it really needed to. I mean, that's a valuable perspective. And and allocation never feels good if you're the no. one getting allocated, right? Because no. you're you're not getting 100% or 98% of, of what you've ordered or what you want. Enrique, what are you seeing in this area? Yeah, I think that relationships are very important and that's something that people need to be very mindful about because at the end of the day, when things settle or when things evolve or when things change, like it will happen, the relationships are going to be there or not. And if you don't have those relationships because you actually acted probably selfishly or maybe the planning horizon was too short and you were short-sighted, then you'll be in a lot of trouble when it comes to your supply chain and how competitive you can be compared to other companies out there. But yeah, it's it's two forces that are playing together at this point. And I talked with a lot of sourcing teams and shipping teams and the COOs, mm -hmm. and it's just on one hand, you're actually trying to put all, all these fires and you're working on a getting things done on a day-to-day -day basis. And then at the same time, you're thinking, well, what can we learn? How can we do things better? But there's just not enough time for planning. I mean, people are still just doing. And uh, one good example of this is, uh, for example, with the initiative that we had to kind of start helping India and sending some PPE, you see all these different calls and emails that we've been getting that are great of people trying to donate PPE. And it's, six million gloves here, three million gowns there. I'm like, well, why do we have so much PPE in the US? And now all of a sudden we were rushing to bring it from China. Yep. We stored yep. it here and now we're going to try to rush it to send it to India. So I feel like we're still kind of like seeing this cycle, right? And it's mm -hmm. ups and downs, up and downs, and we're in the middle. And if we're actually trying to make, I guess, rash decisions right now, I feel like we probably won't get the right outcome because ketchup, for example, right? You're having all this ketchup packages and all of a sudden we're going to have a huge problem with waste and plastic <laughs> scrap. And, and then there's a shortage in plastic. And then, so we're just trying to manage That's everything the, the best way we can. But I think we're just hurrying up a little bit and maybe people should be like, okay, let's just take a break. Let's just think about this for a second. Do we really need 10,000 jars of pickles? Yes, we probably do. But <laughs> but what if we buy 20,000? What are we going to do with the other five? Look, Enrique, so, my middle child, Gracie, has volunteered we'll to send them to you with the surplus, <laughs> with ketchups and pickles. We will so. send all those ketchups and pickles to the Luton family. But Please no, it's... Do. Uh, there's a <laughs> transit time and, and there's yep. there's some things there in logistics that you still have to consider because if you order something today, it won't get here today, right? And, and mm. I see... Uh, good friend of mine was talking to me the other last week and they were from what happened in Texas, they were flying glue. When you're right. chartering planes to fly glue, that's just not a good sign. Wow. Glue should not be flown anywhere. It's so much great knowledge that all three of y'all dropping here. I got, I got to share some of these comments from our friends in, in the comments in the cheap seats, Chris Barnes, the supply chain doctor says the new school of thought management needs to expect black swan events occurring every year kind of waters down the definition of black swan. And Corinne, we were talking about how definitions of different things are, are certainly evolving as well as the equations behind them. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Rhonda's talking about how work life changes 
and expectations and the employee experience, all that's changing, right? For, for good reasons, oftentimes. And so lots more balancing to come, as Rhonda points out. Mohib, I love this. It's interesting that we can communicate and fly helicopters, I would add, to the rover in Mars, but not so much across <laughs> the road to tier three suppliers. Go figure. Excellent point there, Mohib. Now, as Leah says something here, she says, are we allowed to point out how large of a variable the media influence is now on consumer behavior? That's, That's a great point. point. Because, really point. And this is, if you've got school age kids and, and you're a parent, you know, obviously, you know, kind of that digital follow them home impact. Mm -hmm. It certainly worries you probably media, same way. If, if follow, wherever you go, you're almost inundated and you, and, and now consumers are, are savvy. It's a good thing, but you, you got to really pick and choose the signals that you pay attention to and you act on. So that's a great point there as Leah. Gosh, there's so many here. Let me, let me add this. We've got a LinkedIn user here that I want to point out and, and let me know who this is, Amanda, if you would. He or she says, need to have a relevant risk appetite and risk posture. Reduction mm -hmm. isn't solving for the best outcome. Optimize risk and posture, use data, scenario planning, and make sure you don't single or sole source uh, source or order just in time. So Enrique, your appearance, your just in time appearance, as Mohib pointed out, we can't do that anymore. Uh, we we, we got to, <laughs> oh, that's uh, Kelly. That is our friend, our friend, oh, Karai Karai Kose. Kose. Yeah. yeah, from Gartner. Gartner, he, chime he, in. Great points, Karai. He's becoming a LinkedIn uh, superstar. We're going to have to go through his agent next time. But, but Corinne, <laughs> what is that? A lot there, obviously, but how yeah. do we pick back up on and, and keep trucking? So lots of good things there, right? From the perspective of we have new signals, we have different signals. We need to figure out, are we putting priority on these short-term signals and, and how sensitive do we want to be, right? And how do we continue to build trust in our multi-enterprise business? Because it is. We're, we're global. We rely on our suppliers. We rely on our carrier partners and distribution network to get those products in the consumer world out to the consumers at whatever retail channel they're interested in. And I really want to know, you know, so that cadence changes, right? We can't just do weekly planning anymore. Things are changing too dynamically. We, we've got to be able to do the cadence that's important, the weekly, the monthly, the quarterly, but we also need to recalibrate as frequently as possible. Let's talk a little bit about some proof that leveraging advances in technology mm. is really helping us make better decisions. So Corinne, um, we're talking about gaining agility, resilience, better yep. business continuity planning, right? You got so it. Absolutely. I know, I know your finger's on the pulse of a lot of, a lot of developments in, in that area, really across global supply chain. What are some of the cool examples that you're seeing? Yeah, so there, there are a lot of examples that are happening in being able to kind of harvest, if you will, and interpret data and new signals and putting more weight on new signals where we're determining what channel those products are being delivered on, meaning is that direct to home? Is it direct to consumer? Is it coming through a, an e-retailer or is it in a traditional retail market? These are all considerations that on the front end are impacting demand but also drive behavior through your internal supply chain, whether we think about you know, where those products should be housed and distributed from and the type of packaging they need, right? Are they packaged for single serving size or am I still able to ship a carton of goods? You know, that's back to the ketchup example. Really interested, Enrique, to hear 
what you're seeing in this area of proof points that advanced technologies or technology advancements are, are really driving the outcomes we're looking for? Well, I wouldn't go as far as to say that we're driving the outlooks that we want, but they're definitely accelerating whatever outcome that they're trying to maximize. And sometimes I think that's a little bit of a difference because maybe the outcome that we want or one company wants or one supply chain supply chain wants might not be the best outcome for the overall worldwide community of plastics or ketchup packages or whatever, right? So, uh, but, but there's plenty. To, so there's really zero doubt in my mind that technologies just continue to accelerate this. Just the way the, the demand patterns have shifted and just as people were in lockdown, they used technology aka Amazon and, and just all these different ways of ordering products. And so they went from experiences and going out on restaurants or vacations or traveling to just buying. And that shift in demand is kind of a, one of the main pieces, I believe, that has actually put us in the challenging situation that we currently are in. But that's something that we can expect to be the new norm. So, the, so, so technology will continue to accelerate demand the way it has, and maybe even faster with the drone delivery or 3D printing. And so there's a lot of exciting new developments in technology that, that are going to continue to change supply chain. And, and it's exciting for people that are in supply chain like we are. And I think it's it has put supply chain front and center, whereas before it wasn't such a, an important area for, for many companies. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, kind of back to a topic we, we were highlighting before, most of our supply chains have been designed for low cost, repeatable processes, and, you know, more stability, let's say not a stable right. demand pattern, but more stability. And that helps us, Kelly, in those relationships and procurement strategies, right? With it more volatility, does. what happens? Well, it certainly makes it more difficult to keep the frameworks matching what the company needs. Right. But fortunately, from a technology perspective, there's been a huge shift over the last year within procurement. I think we finally embraced the fact that process is not the biggest value we can bring to the company. There's been sort of that association in the past. Mm. We're moving towards a mindset where data, quality data is our primary value proposition, which is allowing us to let go of the buying process. So this is where technologies are coming in so that we can actually allow self-guided buying, self-sourcing, we're actually democratizing the B2B procurement process and that's products and services. Listen, you need a contingent worker, you need paint, you need MRO, you need, I mean, it could be anything. We have the technology, we have databases, we have supplier networks. Don't worry about holding everybody's hand through the process because there's too much work to be done and procurement is not big enough to do it all. So we have to focus where the ROI is. Let people continue doing what they've proven as individual consumers they can handle responsibly. But fortunately, we do have the technology to empower it. Uh, there's been huge improvements in the usability. You don't even really need training anymore in most cases, which is leaps and bounds from where right. we used to be. And so I think we're going to emerge from this saying, OK, you know, instead of a blacklist is a whitelist, we're saying, listen, do everything yourself unless it's above this brand threshold, right? We don't want 14 people in the enterprise all trying to negotiate separately with Microsoft. That's never right. going to happen, or it shouldn't happen. But beyond that, err on the side of letting people do it. Put the technology in place to make it possible and make it successful so that you're not creating risk 
just by feeding this desire for people to do their own buying. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. I hadn't really considered the fact that our user community is changing so much as well. I mean, the of bulk course. of our workforce right now are really digital natives or they've grown up with more mm -hmm. technology in the palm of their hands and, you know, and, and they're able to navigate that and pick up on trends or how to purchase appropriately or work within the guides that are given to them based on you know authorization sure. as a part of that. I think that puts a lot of onus on solution providers, right? A They've ton. got to design with that usability or that user experience as a part of the equation. Yeah. Um, Enrique, I know you guys have focused a lot on having a great user experience. Any insights there? Yeah, so um, I think uh, to Kelly's point, right, and then to your point as well, like the demand is shifting and there's newer, younger people coming in and they actually are more knowledgeable when it comes to not only technology, but also when it comes to brands and, and responsible companies and sourcing. So, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll continue to see this trend. I don't think that we'll ever emerge from this, as some people might think. I feel like it will just be a continuum and we'll adjust and adapt to this new wave. I, I, again, I don't think that, so the pandemic accelerated it, but I kind of feel mm -hmm. like we were already kind of uh, on track to, to what's happening in a in, in certain way. You know, that, that acceleration message, I remember, Scott, you and I talked about this just a couple of months ago. McKinsey did a report late last year on the impact of the pandemic that, that said that the digital transformation had accelerated by as much as four years. It may not feel wow. like it. You know, it may not feel like it to those of you that have adopted new technology or rolled that out. But I guarantee you, those that have waited are going to feel that difference because that gap just got bigger, right? I that feel four years older. So <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> I, was, I was 21. He's four last year, yeah. <laughs> I was 21 when all this started. So, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, to tackle not only supply chain as it will be moving forward to Enrique's mm -hmm. point, but also to overcome the threats new challenges, yep. the, the, the new status quo, which isn't going to, things aren't going back to where we were pre-pandemic in many ways. And and we've got to embrace it and arrive at the, the solid foundation that you can build a, basically a new operation around. Uh, so it can be truly resilient and, and more sustainable in a meaningful way. So I want to, if I can, Corinne, we've had, goodness gracious, we've got, uh, we've got some gurus in the cheap seats. We always do, but lots of comments here today. I want to share a couple Absolutely. Mohib, of course, the bullwhip effect, right? If, if you're a practitioner, you know exactly what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. They don't teach this type of these type of cases in school yet, he says, the operative phrase yet. Mm -hmm. As Alea says, to Kelly's point about departmental sector design, what is the most profitable approach to restructuring systems to meet the current demands in this time? Do we try to alter the procurement design and objectives or do we diversify teams and create teams with representatives from each department? I'm going to uh, we're kind of going backwards a bit in the conversation, yeah. but that is such a universal question that goes far beyond just procurement. Kelly, what would you say that to that? I would say that there's a huge conversation happening around operating models in procurement and probably the biggest divide. And as Aaliyah, you and I have to connect and talk about some of this stuff. <laughs> the biggest divide right now is about what does procurement need to be good at to deliver mm -hmm. against the primary value proposition? So the big tension is around where does category expertise need to live? 
Should we be experts in these different categories? Should we even consistently work in the same categories? Or should we simply be good at market intel, data analysis, strategy, negotiation, supplier relationships, and let the business own all of that category expertise? Companies are looking at it very different ways. And even within individual companies, you have people saying, okay, these categories, we can just let the business own that or bring in a third-party expert if we really need it. But in other areas, this is such a significant percentage of our spend. We can't let go of it. We have to keep it in. So very difficult decisions are being made by procurement teams. Um, how big are they? How do they hire? Who do they retain? What do they invest in current staff? We have a huge pivot happening right now. Excellent point. And, and to Asleya's latter point there about diversifying, I'd, I'd, I'd go broader with that. You know, we were having a great conversation with uh, a supply chain leader doing big things from the team over at Esker. He had a classical arts background. And I'm like, that mm -hmm. is such a beautiful thing. Think about the way he looks at problems so differently than so many other practitioners and other folks from walks of life. So we've got to diversify the team so we can challenge, uh, we can challenge the, these problems yeah. head on. Diversity is diversity too, right? I mean, it's all kinds of diversity. Great point. Excellent point. Uh, all right. I wanted to share one other point from Brandy here. Then I'm going to throw it back to you, Corinne. Uh, Brandy says technology is enabling visibility to supply chain risk throughout the tiers, allowing us as customers to plan better. I would add to that, and Brandy, great point. Uh, Greg just interviewed, and her name escapes me right now, but she is a uh, she's part of the Kabira Capital team. And she mentioned that technology is the grandest democratizer. You know, and, and that truly, that's a wonderful thing. So as, as many threats that are originating from a technology standpoint, hey, we're going to use the power of technology, not only to beat those back, but also create opportunities for all across global business. So that inspires me. I don't know about y'all. No, it's, it's a great point. And actually, it's a great lead in here because I do think technology allows smaller companies to perform at a level that in, in the past was only available to those that could make those big technology investments. So I think we're leveling the playing field in a number of areas. But I, I want to ask um, Enrique and Kelly and, and Scott, your perspective as we, as we kind of close out this theme of the bounce back begins. Um, the desired outcome, right, is, is that we're going to emerge from this pandemic somehow stronger or more resilient in how we face future disruptions right, that, that we've been able to kind of lay the groundwork or change the technology or leverage automation to perform in a more efficient or effective or responsive way. And that doesn't necessarily mean a low-cost solution or a low-cost way to produce and move goods to market. So, Scott, let me kind of start with you, and then I want to hear from Enrique and Kelly on that topic, are we going to emerge from this pandemic more resilient? What's your thought? Well, I got to tell you on a lighter note, just outside to my right here, uh, we've got all these the bird feeders here? and stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, you know exactly where I'm going, Corinne. So the squirrels have been eating all of my bird seed to the point where it's been dis disincentivizing birds to visit my our, our lovely gardens. So with one key bird feeder, we raised it and we've, we have eliminated the squirrels access. However, you should see the acrobatics going on throughout the last hour for these squirrels that are bound to determine. 
there's a supply chain analogy there somewhere, but but I'll wait till I have some vision. It's visuals. very resilient. <laughs> yes. Very resilient. Yes. These squirrels yeah. are bound and determined to figure this problem smart. out. But lots let me of just agility say. happening. Yes. <laughs> so let me just say, you know, some supply chains and their leadership have taken this opportunity to meaningfully, truly transform the nature of their operations, how they lead, how they do business, right? And 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 in a non-cliche way, transformation has been thrown around, you know, like bathwater here lately. But I would argue that global supply chains, as we all know, are very interdependent on so many factors. And I think we've yet to hit this, this notion of rock bottom, bedrock. That's the phrase I'm trying. I don't think we've hit bedrock on some of these fundamental foundations of global supply chain. You know, containers come to mind, the, the ports, all the stuff going there, the workforce dilemma. Holy cow, talk about a universal uh, challenge we're going to have for months, years to come. Even bringing it fairly local or regional to, to the Southeast here and the cybersecurity issues. I am scared to death that when we've seen the turmoil over the last you know 18 months, well, all of that really hasn't been triggered yet. And I'm knocking on a huge piece of wood by you know, from cybersecurity issues. It could be. And, and, and as many analysts are pointing out, this could be a big sign of things to come, which is, so we got to continue to stay ahead, right? We got we to stay ahead. So I, so my answer, long and short, my really technical response answer to your question is yes and no, Corinne. Sorry. I, I wish I had more of a stronger answer. <laughs> that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. You're taking the middle ground there, but I'm not used to you being pessimistic. You usually, uh, uh, the, the optimist amongst all of us here. So we're so challenging. Yeah. You're, we got a challenge. Yeah. We, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I and and not to, be, to believe the fact, but you know, we've seen all the the no shortage of challenges the last eighteen months, and mm -hmm. and really, it's it's thrown us all for every, everyone for a loop in in many different ways. But one of the silver linings, maybe we all didn't recognize until this point in time, is is you know one of the things that didn't rear its head in a way that it could. So supply chain leaders, business leaders, it, consumers hopefully are going to take this, what we're seeing right here, right now, and this huge disruption of a way of life and make changes to, to how we, how we pass and, and share information and do business. We'll see though. So I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I think it's very real. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Enrique, what's your thought? Are we going to emerge stronger, more resilient? What do you think? I think so. I think we'll actually, um, I think we'll actually be much, much better off uh, as things kind of settle and as we kind of move forward. And the reason why I'm so optimistic about this view is because I believe in people and, and we're smart. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we're super dumb many, many ways, mm -hmm. but in general, in general, I think we're smart. I think technology is uh, a function of, of smart people developing technology. I think supply chains are a function of smart people communicating and coordinating with each other. And I am a true believer that people are going to do the right things. They're learning from this. I know it by my experience, my kids' experiences, that we're just really learning. And it's been an incredibly painful learning experience. It's been challenging. A lot of people have been impacted by this and I hope it never happens again, but but it will, right? And I think that's just part of that's just part of life. That's just part of how supply chains work. And I'll give you one quick example on, on why I'm so optimistic. And it's just like the organizational structure that companies currently have, right? So things as basic as you don't have to come to the office. That's just silly, right? I mean, you don't have to have a desktop. You can have a laptop and work remotely and have phones all over the world. So I think that companies are going to change a lot in, in many, many different ways. And I think those changes and that way of 
looking at things is going to be it's going to be great. Yeah, that that's a great point. And and I do think the workforce and the way the workforce contributes is going to be permanently changed um, uh, as an outcome of of this. And I believe that that should give us more resiliency and more agility Correct. because we should actually be able to tap into talent pools around the world. They don't have to be located necessarily in one geography or another. Kelly, what's your thought? Are we going to emerge more resilient or or not? I think, and I'll just speak for procurement, I think we are going to emerge more resilient. I think we've survived something. Um, and procurement has never been quite as cool as all you supply chain guys. <laughs> Not quite as cool. We're just glad to be at the party, right? Uh, so we've now survived something. And I feel like the way we conducted ourselves and the way that we handled ourselves has allowed us to start the foundation of a new legacy. Because we now can look back even 18 months and say, look at all the stuff we did over the last 18 months. And we didn't lose our cool, looking at you, Walmart and Cisco. We didn't lose our cool. We dealt well with other people. So I think we've started to set ourselves on a new trajectory where we're more cohesive as a function. We can use the achievements over the last 18 months to recruit on. And we've proven that where there was nobody in place to step up and do a new task, we were ready, willing, and able to do that. And I think there's a sense of pride that comes from that. And I think that's going to give us the confidence to step up and continue to not only do more things, but to let some of the more transactional work go. We've had a hard time letting go of some of that because it makes us feel good to be in control of it. It's time to let it go. We've proven we can take a step up to the next level. And I think right now is the moment. We just have to keep it together. We have to give ourselves enough times for those new habits and those new patterns to really take root. I think this is a whole new beginning for our function. Yeah, I think that's a great point on the, on the let go, let go of some of those things. To me, Kelly, when I hear that, that is a perfect example of an automation opportunity where oh, technology absolutely. can contribute and automate that process, right? If these are yes. routine functions that maybe are, are time consuming, but not high value, that's a great place um, to apply technology to become more resilient. So thanks so much for, for that perspective. And you're invited to any cool party I go to. So <laughs> well, we, we love I having gotta, you. Bring like 10,000 um, of my best yeah. friends. Can absolutely. I got so to share this. I'm surprising Kelly with this, but it's out in the public domain. So oh, I think no. I can do that. <laughs> Kelly is one of our coolest amongst us. Look at that, that she commands. And if you, if I can zoom awesome. in, if I can zoom in on the shirt, it says procurement. It's like, instead of, instead of mom across a cat it tattoo, does. it says yeah. procurement. So yeah. shout out to my friends, Aggie and Ashley, who sent me the sweatshirt. Amazing piece of branding. Take that to the next level. Pull out the Harley, put on the sweatshirt. Keep <laughs> two on it. the ground, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Excellent. Well, as I mentioned, I surprised Kelly with that, but, but that is so, that is so cool. We've got a bunch. We look. As we all know, I'm not the cool one on all these panels. We've got Corinne and Kelly and Enrique. Enrique, the ultimate optimist. Uh, how about that? You, we got to get you a new heavyweight title belt for that. But Corinne, gosh, a whirlwind of conversation here today. I hate that it's almost with the top of the hour, bottom of the hour. Let's get that wrong. I hate to bring yep. it to a close. Yep, it's time. It's time. Um, but I want to thank Enrique and Kelly for joining us on this conversation, Scott. Obviously, we could we could go on for for hours on this. You know, if I could add that, I think we are going to emerge more resilient. That doesn't mean it's been easy, because it hasn't. 
Um, that doesn't mean we won't have some scars because we will, but it means if we choose to learn from these experiences and transform our businesses going forward, we have an opportunity to change the way business is done and to be able to handle future disruptions, small and large, um, with greater resiliency. And for me, technology is not just an IT CIO problem anymore. This is on the top of the list for your CEOs, yeah. right? They need the insights about their business and supply chain is their business. Making products, moving products and satisfying customer needs is what the business is about. And, and if you're a products-based company, supply chain becomes very, very critical to that in all of its areas of domain from procurement through planning and technology to new product design to the logistics partners that you work for work with to get delivery of those goods at the time the customer wants when and where in the package size all the permutations um, so we've got a real opportunity after being in center stage to stay in center stage for for the years to come Agreed. Man, there's so much goodness in what you just shared there, Corinne. I think one of one of your points you made there, we have an opportunity to change the way business is done. I can't I, I completely agree with you there. And I gotta share this other one from Barbara. We're talking about the cool factor. Barbara says companies with the most resilient supply chains will be more competitive in the long run, being able to capitalize, capitalize on black swan events better than their peers. Supply chain resiliency is the new cool uh, competency. Excellent point. Okay. So before we bid adieu to our dear friends, Enrique and Kelly, thank you so much uh, on behalf of Corinne, our team here. Mm -hmm. We love what you've shared here, but equally as important, we love all the other thought leadership you put out there. Kelly, you yeah. via Dial P, of course, Art of Procurement, Buyer's Meeting Point. And Enrique, I don't know how both of y'all get sleep at night. Enrique, I'm convinced you've got seven clones, but hey, love logistics with purpose, uh, supply chain now in Espanol. And of course, what all the great things you are up to at Vector Global Logistics. So thanks so much, Kelly Barner and Enrique Alvarez. Thank you.